Welcome back to a Final Four edition of Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm thrilled to be back to talk some college hoops. We've made it. It's Final Four weekend. The games are tomorrow. I wish more than anything I could be in New Orleans right now because that would be just an incredible experience. You know, I've heard a lot of people say they don't really like that it's this blue blood Final Four. I couldn't be more on the opposite end of the spectrum. I am so excited for these games. But before we jump into them, as a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating. Really appreciate that. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Gorgon Sports, to get all of my thoughts when I'm not on this podcast. So let's jump right into it. As promised, we're going to go through the games, talk about some of the things that I'm looking for, and of course, get to the gambling picks. So let's start with that first game where we have Kansas taking on Villanova. And right now... Kansas is a about four and a half, four to four and a half point favorite in that game. You know, it opened at four, it's jumped up to a, it's a four and a half in a lot of places. And both of these teams on their route to the final four have really done it with strong defense. Since the start of March, according to BartTorvik.com, Kansas is the 11th best defense in the country and Villanova is the 18th best defense in the country. So my big question for this game is can Villanova compete without the injured Justin Moore who injured his Achilles in the Elite Eight win over Houston? And I'm really more concerned about that for Villanova on a defensive perspective, from a defensive perspective, than I necessarily am from an offensive perspective. Villanova is not a deep team by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Typically, they only go about seven to eight deep or so anyway on a a given night. So this is already a a fairly thin team. Uh, For example, in their Sweet 16 win over uh, over Michigan, they went eight deep. So and and two of those guys, uh, Brian Antoine and Chris Archer Diacono, only played four combined minutes. So this is not a team that is used to playing a lot of guys anyway. So uh, Justin Moore actually did miss a game earlier this year with an ankle injury. So I went back this week and I watched that game. uh, And that was a win at home over UConn. And what I really took away from that, uh, a few things I took away from that, but my concern is really about how they're going to handle Kansas on, on defense. So Kansas now has three guys on the perimeter that are really a problem. Uh, Of course, of course, Ochai Abaji and Christian Brown have been there and consistent all season. But Remy Martin, the transfer from Arizona State, is a guy who struggled with some injuries throughout the season, but has really turned it on in the tournament. So he's averaging just shy of 17 points per game. The three of them together throughout the tournament are averaging 40 points per game, uh, just over half of the team's total points. And those are three guys that can all put it on the floor, take it to the basket, and cause problems on the perimeter. Uh, Martin has just been just been really impressive. He, he's had a very efficient 17 points per game in the tournament. He hasn't always been the most efficient guy uh, during his time at Arizona State. He was asked to do a lot, but his usage is down a little bit again now with some of the other options on the floor for, for them, and he's getting to the rim a lot, getting to the free throw line. Um, so... When I looked at that UConn game 
RJ, UConn's RJ Cole, really good player, similar game to Remy Martin. And in that win over UConn, they did, of course, get the win. We, we got to emphasize that. But they gave up, uh, they gave up 111 points per 100 possessions, which is, is far below the standard that Villanova ha- has set for their defense. So just as a point of comparison, during their tournament run, in, in some of the wins in, in this tournament run, they gave up uh, 76 points per 100 possession to Houston and 89 points per 100 to Michigan. So huge difference there uh, with more in and out of the lineup. So that is the thing I am really watching for is how can, how does Villanova handle those three perimeter guys defensively without Justin Moore in the lineup? When I went back and I watched that UConn game, there were some instances where Chris Archidiacono, he had to play pretty big minutes. He had over 20 minutes in that game uh, without Justin Moore. And there were some times he got matched up on RJ Cole. Gillespie had most of the responsibilities on Cole, but there were, there's times he got matched up and he, he couldn't hang with RJ Cole. RJ Cole took advantage of that matchup. He had a really good game uh, that, that day in the loss, but UConn was able to score pretty efficiently. And, and Cole in particular that day, he had a, a really efficient 25 points. So, I am I that is the major thing I'm looking for and because of that my pick for this game is Kansas is Kansas minus 4 Kansas minus 4 and a half. I caught it at uh minus 4 earlier this week. I'm debating on whether to go in at, at minus 4 and a half again. I think I probably will. Uh so that is my pick for this game. I I do expect it to be a bit of a slower game. Uh Villanova's really good at imposing their pace. But I, I think Kansas just has too much. The the injury to Moore hurts too much, especially on the defensive end. So my pick for this game is Kansas, and I'll lay the points. As far as other bets for this game, I try to really think what else can we learn uh, from that UConn game where Moore was out. So in that UConn game, Villanova's a bit of an undersized big man at 6'8", Eric Dixon, he had a absolutely fantastic game. He scored 24 points on 10 of 15 shooting in that game. And it seemed like without the, you know, uh, other perimeter options that they typically have in in more, they were looking to go inside to him a little bit more. So I I dug in a little bit more on this and I wanted to see, okay, is this just something where, you know, when they play UConn, they they really like the matchup with, with Dixon against some of their big men. And that was not the case at all. They played UConn twice more the rest of the season, uh, later in the season. And in, in those two games, those following two games, Dixon had four points uh, in a loss. And then in a Big East tournament game win, he had five points. So this is not a matter of just Villanova really likes the matchup with against UConn's bigs. Let's get him going. Uh, I, I think this was a matter of they had less options on the perimeter. They had to, they wanted to do some different things, and, and Dixon was the beneficiary of that. So I like him over eight and a half points, kind of based on based on. Um, that previous game with more out. The other thing I really like about Dixon is he averaged, he's one of the best offensive rebounders in the country. He averages three and a half offensive boards per game in the tournament. And he had five against Houston, which Houston is a fantastic rebounding team. So he has some ability in a 
a game where you have some really good defenses that he might get some some dirty buckets. He might get some some easy putbacks, you know, in a game where points are at a premium. So, you know, I don't always love laying the over in in terms of points in a game I expect to be a little bit lower scoring, but um I, I like some of the things Dixon brings to the table here. So give me Dixon over eight and a half points. Uh the other prop that I'm liking here is Colin Gillespie over two and a half threes. So again, trying to take advantage from a a betting perspective of what we can learn without Justin Moore in the lineup. So Gillespie throughout the tournament is averaging eight attempt, eight three-point attempts per game, including nine each against Delaware and Ohio State, and then he attempted 10 threes against Michigan. So he is putting up a lot of three-pointers, even with Moore in the lineup. Now, he hasn't shot the best, uh, we would have hit this prop twice and missed it twice in those four games. Uh, but but two of those games, he did hit four threes. So, um, and again, that's even with Moore in the lineup. In the game that Moore missed in February, Gillespie took seven. He was four of seven. We would have hit it again there. So I, I do think it, I like Kansas in this game. I, I do like Kansas to get out to a bit of a lead. I think that Gillespie, Villanova is going to be trying to, needing to claw their way back. They're going to have limited options without Moore. Gillespie is is the leader of this team, um, kind of the heart and soul of this team. So I expect him to be firing. I, I expect him to get up at probably 9 to 11 attempts. It's just a matter of if they fall. Um, but, you know, all you can really ask for is the attempts. And if, if you can get me the, those 10 attempts, I'll be happy. So I'm, I'm going to play Colin Gillespie over two and a half three-pointers. Okay, let's move on to the... Second game of the night, the big one, the Tobacco Road rivalry, potentially Coach K's last game, and that is Duke taking on North Carolina. Duke, a four-point favorite in this one, and this is the one everybody's talking about. This is the one that uh, all the fans in North Carolina are on pins and needles about. Um, This is the one that, as I talked about on the show earlier this week, could set Hubert Davis's legacy in year one as the head coach of North Carolina. So let's dive into the game. North Carolina, according to BartTorvik.com, has been the best team in the country since March 1st. They are number one in the country in T-rank since March 1st, and they're 6-1 over that time. And that time frame just so happens to coincide. The first game of that time frame is their win at Cameron Indoor Stadium against Duke. Duke also no no slouch over that time frame. They're they're twentieth in the country. Uh, but what really stands out from a st- statistical perspective about Duke over that time is they have the second most efficient offense in the country over that time. And I think to me that is really the story of this game. It's it's the offenses and it's can anyone get a stop in this game now don't get me wrong North Carolina has been really good defensively throughout the tournament um they have they have locked down at times um you know against Marquette their first round matchup against Marquette they held Marquette to 63 points and they held them to 83 and a half points per 100 possessions which is just fantastic and then against St. Peter's they, they really overwhelmed St. Peter's they did to St. Peter's what I thought thought Purdue was going to do to St. Peter's and uh, they held them to 
49 points, 75.5 points per 100 possession. So they have been really good defensively. But the last time that these two teams met, North Carolina, North Carolina, of course, got the win. It was a 94-81 game. And uh, North Carolina held Duke to uh, 108. It was just 108.5 points per 100 possessions, which is not very good. And then North Carolina itself uh, had... 126 points per 100 possessions, which is fantastic offensively, but not so great defensively from a Duke perspective. And then the first time that these two teams played, it was actually a 20-point Duke win at the Dean Dome. And um, again, Duke was, was, it was kind of the the reverse from a statistical perspective, basically. Duke with uh, 126 points per 100 possessions, North Carolina with 97.6. But again, both both of them were were high-scoring games, and uh, I I think there's no questioning that Duke has just a fantastic offense. They've looked unstoppable. Paulo Bancaro has looked unstoppable at times throughout this tournament. And, you know, Duke's done enough on the defensive end they, they've stepped it up at, at critical times in critical games I will give them that for sure but it's really been their offense carrying the way uh you know I'm harping a lot on the points per per possession today but it, it's just the best measure of efficiency and Duke does not have a game in the tournament where they've been under 111 points per possession uh that's that's astounding that that really is. You have to go all the way back to a game against uh, Notre Dame at the end of January to find one where they've been under 101 points per possession. This is just a, a fantastic offense that is is multifaceted, and they've showed you that in the tournament that they can score and win in a variety of ways. Now, on the defensive end, like I've said. They have found ways to get stops at at critical junctures, but they still haven't been great statistically by any means. Arkansas is their be- was their best defensive performance, holding Arkansas to ninety eight point seven points per hundred possessions. But against Michigan State, and Michigan State's not a fantastic offensive team by any stretch throughout the Big Ten season. Michigan State was just over 100, 115 points per 100 possessions. Texas Tech at 109.5 points per 100 possessions. And Texas Tech, very good team. They're known for their defense. They're not known for their offense. So just, again, to put this in comparison, to put what Texas Tech did to Duke offensively against what they were doing to other teams offensively, um, in the Big 12 tournament, Kansas held Texas Tech to just over 90 points per 100. Oklahoma hold them to, held them to just under 90 points per 100. They had a nice game against Iowa State. They're at just under 100 point, uh, 105. And then, oh, again, the last game of the Big 12 regular season, they were all the way down at 81.6 points per 100 against that Oklahoma State team. They scored 51 points in a loss. So Texas Tech is not exactly a defensive juggernaut. Um, and they were well over 100 points per, per 100 possessions against, against Duke. So my question in this one is, can anyone get stops? Both because 
Duke's offense is so good and looks so unstoppable, but also because they haven't played great offensively. And on the Carolina side of the ball, you know, we, we talked a little bit about their defense already, but offensively, I mean, they've been just unbelievably impressive as well. Um, you know, from Armando Bacot and, and, and Brady Manick to Caleb Love, they have shown you that they can score in, in so many ways. So, I th- I expect this one to be a high-scoring one. I do, at the end of the day, think that Duke has just found another gear. They found some ways. The they found a way to step up at the right times and get stops when when needed. But also, just they've looked like an unstoppable scoring machine late in games, where no matter what you do, you cannot stop them. So maybe they don't even need to get need to get a, a ton of stops if they're scoring at the rate they have been. So um, I do think that Duke gets the job done. I, I am not going to bet it. I want to stay away from betting a, a rivalry game like this, but I, I do think that that Duke can get the job done. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay away from it personally. What I am going to look for from a betting perspective is for that that total of Hovering about 151, 151 and a half right now. I am going to look to bet that over live. Uh, what I expect to happen in this game, which often happens in Final Four games, often happens in dome stadiums, is you might come out and get a little bit of a slow start. So, um, you know, the shooting, the the vision, the backgrounds, kind of weird in a dome. It's a huge game. It's a in this one in particular, a huge rivalry. Nerves are nerves are heightened. It's tense. It's tight. So I wouldn't be shocked if in the first four minutes we get a little bit of a slower start and lot and that live total starts to plummet a bit. And that's what I'm going to pounce on that over because I think even though it seems obvious, even though it seems kind of like a square play ahead of the game, that's why I want to wait on it and wait for it to come down and then and then pounce on that over. In the last five games, this game has gone over every single time. In the the last five times, these teams have matched up. Both of the games this season went over. Uh, The the most recent game absolutely crushed the over of 152.5. That ended at uh, 175 points total. And then the uh, the first matchup this season... Uh, again, a total of 152 and a half, and it was 154 points total. So both these, both the first two meetings went over, and then in previous years we've we've seen a bunch of overs as well. Um, so what that's what I'm looking for. I really want to. I I I wouldn't be shocked at all if it if it plummets initially that first four minutes. We get a tight matchup. Maybe some some nerves, uh, getting used to the shooting background, and, and and we don't get much scoring. Hoping it plummets, maybe to you know if I can get it down to like one forty, one forty seven, I I would pounce on it. Um, but if it doesn't, if they both come out hot, then I'll just leave it alone and you know try to try to enjoy this matchup. I might, I might look to. If Carolina gets out to a, a hot start and that Duke line comes down, maybe I would get involved from a Duke perspective. I really don't want to, to be honest. Like, I, you know, 
I don't care so much about gambling. I mean, everybody knows I don't want to root for Duke. I grew up. Coach K was Coach K was the the arch nemesis of my sports life uh, growing up. There, there's nobody in sports that was more of a villain to my Maryland fandom than Coach K. So I don't particularly want to root for Duke in that game. However, for everybody out there who may not care so much, if Carolina gets up early the way that Duke has been able to turn on that offense, I would expect them to, to be able to, to come back. So the main thing I'm looking for though, is that total to dip in the first four minutes, maybe hit the over at the under four timeout. If it drops down to somewhere in the, in the one forties kind of targeting that four points lower there at, at one forty-seven or so, uh, but we'll just have to play that by year and see how it turns out. So, um, that is what I'm looking for in both of those games. That's how I'm betting both of those games. Again, I love New Orleans. New Orleans is probably my favorite city, my favorite city to visit in the world. And uh, it's not just the, it's not just Bourbon Street. I, I love the whole city. I, I think I could live there. I would love to try to live there. It snowed here in Chicago, March 31st. So I'm, I'm kind of looking for anywhere that's warm right now that I can go and live. But wish I could be there. This atmosphere is just going to be phenomenal. These fan bases travel. Uh, I, I expect two great games and uh, can't wait to sit down on the couch and watch them all on Saturday. I hope you enjoy the games out there, everybody. And until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.